In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. So Dean Grace, there was this Irish young man who left Ireland. He came to the United States to find work. He found a great job. He found his way to a local bar. He showed up. He told the bartender, he said, I'd like three beers. The bartender said, okay, and brought him a beer. The Irishman gets upset. He said, I said three beers. The bartender said, oh, I'm sorry. I thought you meant one after the other. You want three beers at the same time. Yes, the Irishman says. Bartender brings him two more beers, and the man drinks all three beers at the same time. Wow. He comes back the next week, does the same thing. The next week, does the same thing. Eventually, the bartender asks him, says, hey, buddy, you come to my bar every week, you order three beers at the same time. What, what's going on? The Irishman says, oh, well, when I left Ireland, I left my two brothers. We're really close. We're really close. And I told them when I left that I'd have a beer in their honor every week. So I come, have a beer for me, and then a beer for each of my brothers. Bartender's like, that's pretty awesome. So a couple weeks go on, guy does this week after week after week. But then he shows up one day and he says, give me two beers. Bartender's like, uh-oh, what happened to one of his brothers? So the guy comes back the next week, two beers. Third week, two beers. Bartender gives him the beers and says, hey, it's on the house, my condolences. The Irishman gets upset, what do you mean, your condolences? What are you talking about? Bartender's like, well, you... You come to my bar, you drink a beer for yourself and one for each of your brothers, and now you only have two beers. I, I thought something happened to one of your brothers. <laughs> the Irishman starts laughing. He says, no, 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 my brothers are fine. I just gave up beer for Lent. <laughs> <laughs> We're works in progress, aren't we? <laughs> but we know that Lent is all about penance. It's looking for opportunities to die to ourselves. And it's not just a death to ourselves for its own sake. We seek to die to ourselves so that we can live more fully for Jesus Christ. Here at Our Lady of Grace, we are looking at the Sabbath. Where, in terms of the Sabbath, can we apply a little more penance? Where we can bring on some discipline in our own hearts and in our own homes in order to be more living, to live more for Jesus Christ. So here at Our Lady of Grace, we're walking through the different parts of the Sabbath, we are focusing on reclaiming the Lord's day. Because, friends, the Sabbath has been obscured, eclipsed. In many places, it's just been completely forgotten. We understand that among the unbelievers, and that makes sense in a now secular society. But we find this even within the household of faith, even in the Christian home, that the Sabbath has been lost. But we have to regain it. And we're going to use this Lent to do that. You see, we have to understand that the Sabbath is a gift given to us by God. It is a sign of God's love for us. Think of it, friends. We have a God who loves us so much that he actually commands us to rest. He calls us to worship, to rest, and to spend time with our loved ones. No other God in any history of humanity has ever sought to do such a thing. All these false gods that humanity has worshipped None of them have ever cared so profoundly for humanity that a Sabbath has been commanded. But the living and true God, our Heavenly Father, who loves us and cares for us, has commanded us to observe the Sabbath. You know, it's interesting we don't see any reflection of the Sabbath in any other culture or nation. Nothing comes close to the Sabbath of the covenant of God. You know, it's interesting when the Romans occupied the Holy Land during the time of our Lord, the Romans thought that the Jewish people were lazy because they took every seventh day off. Again, the Sabbath didn't exist in any other culture or people outside of the covenant of God. 
It's also very profound that the Sabbath was decreed not simply for the men and women of the covenant, but for foreigners, for slaves, servants, even the animals. Everyone was to observe the Sabbath rest. The children of God and all creation commanded to rest, to take a break, to go easy for a day, to allow ourselves to be renewed and rejuvenated by the grace of God. This is the Sabbath, dear friends. This is what we are called to observe. You know, it's interesting here at Our Lady Grace, we've spoken a lot about the tithe. And the tithe's important, the biblical tithe, because it reminds us not to worship money. So we give the first 10% to God. At least we're supposed to. You all are tithing, right? Top 10% goes to God. What does that do? It saves our heart from idolatry. Because we give the first 10% to God, we acknowledge this isn't my money, it wasn't my strength that did this. I didn't give myself these talents. These are all gifts given to me by God, and I show that gratitude by observing the tithe. It spares my heart from the worship of money. There are many people today, even Christians, who worship money. My future, money. My security, money. My stability, money. My family, money. My control, money. So much money. So much worship of money. What breaks that? The tithe. Ooh, that hurts. That first 10% goes to God and to the poor, huh? And we feel it. It disciplines us. It teaches us to put money in its proper place. Yes, we have to exercise prudence. Yes, we have to be attentive to our financial well-being. But we cannot worship money. Again, the tithe breaks that false God. And just as the tithe disciplines us with money, so the Sabbath disciplines us in terms of time. Because we can start to worship time. We think time belongs to us. Time has been given to us in order for us to achieve success and prosperity, to get what we want, to do what we want. We can start worshiping time. And the problem both with money and with time, when we start worshiping them, what we end up doing is indulging selfishness and ultimately we fall into self-worship. My life belongs to me. I will do whatever I want, when I want, however I want. I am the master of my own life. But that's not the sentiment or the posture of a child of God. That's the posture of the unbeliever who is in rebellion against God. That's not our posture. As the children of God, the disciples of the Lord Jesus, no, we readily welcome the discipline of God. We understand Jesus Christ is Lord because by both the tithe and the Sabbath, we are reminded, we are disciplined to acknowledge that God is sovereign. Jesus Christ is Lord. It humbles us. It puts us in our place. It gives us the freedom to flourish in our humanity because we're not trying to steal a false divinity. So we have to welcome the Sabbath. We have to let the Sabbath discipline and teach us how to properly use time. As we spend our Lent exploring the Lord's day to try to reclaim the Sabbath, we have to be guided by a very important principle. And honestly, friends, as Catholic Christians, we've almost completely lost this principle. It's not even on the radar of the vast majority of Catholics, and we have paid the price. Let me explain a guiding principle in terms of the spiritual life. Discipleship, friendship with the Lord, the path of love, the work of holiness, they are never defined by the lowest common denominator. We cannot grow in our relationship with the Lord if we are always looking for only those things 
that we have to do. Do I have to do that? Is that an obligation? Is that required? You cannot grow as a disciple of Jesus Christ if that's your posture. And we are obsessed with that as Catholic Christians. What's required of me? As opposed to what is, calling, what is love calling forth from me? You see the difference? You understand this in your marriages, in your friendships, in the other relationships within your life. If you're always defined, or the one that you're in a relationship with is always defining your relationship by what they have to do, you know that there are problems. For example, if your spouse begins to say, do I have to do that? Do I have to kiss you? Do we have to make love again? Do I have to work and pay the bills? Do I have to be around the house? Suddenly you're starting to wonder, that person's heart is far from me. There's difficulty, there's problems. Because love is not defined by what do I have to do. Love grows and soars beyond it. Love looks for opportunities to die in order to serve and to bring out the good in the one that is loved. That's true in our human relationships. At least it's supposed to be. That should be the defining factor in terms of your marriages as Christians. And certainly that should be a mark in terms of our relationship with the Lord. Let me give you a funny example of this principle that calls us to go beyond. Some time ago, someone asked me, Father, with the biblical tithe, do I have to tithe on my gross income or my net income? You see how we're always trying to weasel our way, you know? And I said, I don't know, do you want to be blessed on your gross income or your net income, right? <laughs> the church only requires a net income. But you might be called, maybe you are able to give a tithe on your gross income. Or perhaps you want to give service to someone and then they compel you to give more service. And so you respond. Maybe you want to give mercy and then as you give mercy, you realize you are called not simply to mercy but to reconciliation. Love always pushes us forward. Discipleship is a journey. There's no plateau. We can never settle for what do I have to do. But we're always obeying the promptings of the Holy Spirit in order to love more, to give more. And that, of course, is especially true when we come to the Sabbath, especially as we're struggling to regain the Sabbath, to reclaim it. At some point, friends, love should compel us to go beyond what is only required. That's an important principle in human life. That's an essential principle in Christian discipleship. This is especially true since the church is teacher and mother. She will oftentimes go to the lowest possible level in order to reach all of her children. She will accommodate and adjust however she is able to include and encourage all the children of God so that none might be lost. And parents, you understand this. Grandparents, you understand this. How oftentimes have you given permissions to your children? You haven't preferred it, but you've permitted it because you have trusted and relied on what they have told you, on what they said is a need. The observance of the Sabbath needs the guidance of this principle since the church allows many things that she does not prefer. She accommodates to what is needed, relying on the honesty of her children that there is a true need. And again, parents, you do the same. Your children tell you something and you trust them, and so you allow a concession, a permission. Even though you don't prefer it, you allow it because you trust. 
You know, here we have this beautiful image of St. Augustine as a boy, and he's depicted here in this stained glass with his holy mother, Monica. And as Augustine was growing older, he became quite the playboy, and he wanted to spend more time out with his friends and so on. Monica was very concerned, but she realized the boy had now become a young man, and she had to begin to give him permissions. But she always suspected that what he was saying was not always true. So every once in a while, Augustine would ask something of his mother, and we are told by St. Augustine that St. Monica had a crooked smile. Whenever she would permit but not prefer something. And he knew that crooked smile of his mother meant that she didn't really want him to do it. He writes that the crooked smile of his mother was heavier in grief than anything else he had experienced in his life. Because he felt the sorrow of his mother because she was trusting him even as she was not sure whether he was telling the truth. He goes on to write later that he would want his mother to have a full and bright smile. And so eventually he began to follow the guidance of his mother in terms of her preferences, which eventually led to his conversion. He wanted his mother to have a full smile because that crooked smile, he understood she's going to permit this, but she doesn't prefer. Again, parents, you understand this. To the young Christians among us, you understand this about your parents, that things are permitted, not preferred, because of trust. The same is true with the church. There are many things that Mother Church will permit but does not prefer during the Sabbath. For example, Mother Church permits an anticipated Sunday Mass on Saturday evening. She doesn't want us to go there. She wants us to be here on Sunday morning, Sunday proper. But if we truly have to work because our bosses are unbelievers and will not give us the Sabbath off, if we have to care for someone who demands our attention on the Sabbath, if we are the recipients of the care of someone who's an unbeliever and will not bring us to Mass on Sunday proper, if there is some extenuating circumstance where there is an authentic need, the Mother Church provides for this anticipated Mass on Saturday evening, but she trusts that it will only be used when there is a true need. It's not given there because, well, I just want to go on Saturday night and you know, take Sunday off. That's not where the, the Saturday option is given. Also, in terms of work, Mother Church will allow us to work if we have to. But she trusts that we have done every effort with our employer not to work on the Sabbath, asking repeatedly, even willing to take on extra shifts or difficult shifts in order to have the Sabbath off. And if we have tried every effort, but our employer will not give us the Sabbath off, then Mother Church will allow us to work in order to provide for our families. But she trusts that every effort has been made Mother Church will even allow restaurants to be open on the Sabbath. She does not prefer that. We should be preparing our own food in our own homes. But she allows restaurants to be open so that if there is an authentic need, then she allows it because she does not want her children to go without food. And so she will allow us to go to a restaurant in order to eat, but she does not prefer it. She does not prefer that we demand other people to work on the Sabbath. But if there is an authentic need, the Mother Church permits it. And we have to understand this principle because we can't just look and say, well, the church lets us work on Sunday. The church lets us shop and eat on Sunday. The church lets us go to Mass on Saturday evening. That is a gross minimalization of a powerful act of trust given by the church, the church who is the guardian of the gospel, the guardian of the moral law. And when she allows something, she does it because she trusts our virtue. 
that the concessions will be used as they have been intended, and that we will always seek to follow the Lord by virtue. Okay, as we understand that principle, there's one other distinction we have to make. When God speaks about rest, what does he mean? It shouldn't surprise us that it's different than what we mean, right? Because when we say rest is I'm sleeping in, I'm going to slum it on the couch, I'm going to binge on my favorite shows, I'm just going to be lazy. That's not what God means. When God speaks about rest, he's referring to the nurturing of our spiritual souls. Which is why when he speaks about the Sabbath rest, God gives us almost a bullet point list of what he expects. For example, the Sabbath should be marked by worship, prayer, sacred study, time with our loved ones, works of mercy, time in nature. It's shocking how many people aren't even ever outside. And then the suspension of work and stress. Don't we all need the suspension of stress in our society today? And again, we have a God who loves us so much, he says, take a break. Because God knows that we are human beings, we're not human doers. And as his children, he wants to care for us. He says, take it easy, take this rest. And he's describing for us what this rest looks like. Let me give you this example. Years ago, years ago, at a different parish, I was given a series similar to this. At the end of the series, a young husband and father came up to me. He said, Father, I have to tell you, when you started this series, I thought you were crazy. Turn off the TV, stop with the computer and the phone, stop with the sports, spend time with family, study the Bible. He goes, I thought you were crazy. In fact, I wasn't even going to listen to you, but my wife started nudging me. And he said, so we started following what you were saying. And he started reclaiming the Sabbath in their home, he and his wife. What's interesting is the young man described this young husband and father. He was saying that before the series... He was a workaholic. He, was, he didn't know he was a workaholic. He was always on the phone, always on the computer, always doing something, always worried about the market, always worried about money, everything. Everything was more important than his wife and children. And they knew it. He said he was embarrassed, humiliated, as he reflected upon the person that he was formerly. His children would speak to him and he'd be on his phone. His wife would want to spend time with him and he had to check something on the market. Everything was more important. Money, acknowledgement at work, popularity, mobility. Everything was far more important than his family. He loved them. They were one of the reasons, not the only, one of the reasons why he worked so hard. But he says that he didn't realize until he detoxed from that workaholism and reclaimed the Sabbath. He didn't realize that he really saw his family as a burden. He didn't understand why his wife always wanted to spend time with him. Doesn't she know how important my work is? Doesn't she know that I have to take care of this? Doesn't she realize that this is about money? He saw his wife and his children as burdens to be avoided, to be placated, started observing the Sabbath, putting all that stuff away. And point after point after point, all through the Lent, the Lenten observance, reclaiming the Sabbath in his own heart and the heart of his family. The prophet Malachi tells us 
that when the heart of a father turns to his children, it is a sign of renewal. And point by point by point, he observed the Sabbath, and he said, at the end of the Lenten observance, he realized that he had reclaimed his humanity, his marriage, his family. He had reclaimed the Sabbath because he was able to rest. He enjoyed being with his family, watching his children play and laugh, snuggling with his wife, being together. He said it would grieve him at the end of Sundays when he knew, tomorrow I have to go back to work. You see how the Lord inversed it? He was working and his, I've got to be with my family. And the Lord converted that and changed it. Work became something he did, not who he was. And he looked forward to being with his family. You see, dear friends, that's what the Sabbath can do for us. That's the workings of the grace of God. But we have to show up. We have to be willing to accept the discipline of God. And if we observe the Sabbath, he will bless us. Here at Our Lady of Grace, we're going to walk through all those bullet points that God has given to us. We're going to start next week. We're going to talk about worship. We're going to talk about how does God view worship? What does the church teach us about worship? What more can we give in terms of worship? We're going to start there and then all through Lent just walk through all those bullet points. Reclaiming in hearts and homes the joy of the Sabbath. Allowing ourselves that time of rejuvenation and renewal in Jesus Christ. Allowing ourselves by showing up to be blessed by God. Allowing your marriages, your families, your households to be blessed by God.